Welcome back. We have no particular things to point out for the church's issues or things other than, um, well, it's about three, almost four weeks away, so we have Presbytery coming up. So, we have the call to worship. Praise waiteth for thee, O God, in Zion, and unto thee shall the vow be performed. It's by our heads and hearts in silent preparation for worship. Let us stand and sing hymn 153, 153.
let us pray. Indeed, blessed Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, blessed three and one. We are grateful, Lord, for your revelation, revealing to us more of who you are and how, God, we can praise you aright in pure understanding. Be with us this evening, God. Strengthen us by your grace and spirit, Lord, and draw us nigh unto you by the blood of Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We have Psalm 146.
you are our Savior and Deliverer, God Almighty, through Jesus Christ our Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit, given to us, gracious God, by your long-suffering mercy and your faithfulness to the covenants you've given us. This evening, precious Lord, we come before you again thankful and grateful for the moisture that we've had. And although we do not like the cold weather, God, we need the snow, we need the upcoming rain, and spring comes upon us for this land that we live in. For our food, for our water, precious God, we are grateful for the house that we have, our families, Lord, and protecting us and giving us what we need in our jobs and various and sundry things, Lord, in our lives that are easy to take for granted, God, but we should always remember such things and remind one another, Lord, of the graciousness that you've should have brought upon us. You've bestowed and given us, Lord. We're grateful for our health. We thank you, Lord, that we have access to good health in many ways. And all that times we struggle and wonder exactly what we should do to take care of the ailments and problems that we have, Lord. We are still here, and you are with us. We pray for good access, Lord, to doctors and understandings to take care of our bodies. We pray for those, in particular Mr. Martin and the surgery coming up, a very serious surgery, Lord, but we're thankful that it has a high success rate and we ask, Lord, you watch over him and his wife and bring him through this, Lord. For your name's sake, we pray. And we pray also, Lord, for the rest of us to continue to take care of our bodies, to pray for one another and help those who have chronic ailments and things that they cannot be so easily fixed with surgery and the like. They would not be discouraged, but persevere, Lord. We ask, God, that you be with our families as well, that the wives would continue to submit to their husbands, and the husbands would love their wives and uh, take care of them and watch over them and love them, Lord, even sacrificially. And so, God, we ask that as a family we would draw close to one another and ultimately to you. We'd be with our children as well, God, uh, even if they are grown up, Lord, that they would continue to show love and respect to their parents. And uh, as they create new families, Lord, that you would be with them as well. We ask, God, that <clears throat> as families we'd also pray for the singles among us, the couples and those whose children have left the home and grown up, that, uh, Lord, we would take care of one another and understand one another as best we can, and encourage and support one another, God Almighty. We ask, Lord, that you'd be with the young, that you would help them. Uh, Lord, find a godly spouse, that they would persevere and do the right thing in the day and age that would call them to be uh, unfaithful to you in their singleness, God. And uh, it's so easy to do in this day and age. We pray, God, that you would be with them and be indeed with all of us, God. You watch, that we would watch our eye and ear gates, Lord, and the entertainment that we have and the media and everything around us, Lord, just driving down the streets. So precious God Almighty, that we would continue to support the families, that we would pray for the families, that they would be protected from uh, the evil laws and uh, influences in society that wish to and have, to a great extent, unfortunately, damaged and hurt families, Lord, so that uh, they are falling apart. Help us, Lord, as churches uh, to show a better way, that we would, uh, Lord, depend completely upon your grace to protect us both as uh, singles, as couples, and as families, and families with children. And gracious God, we pray also for our efforts uh, as a church to speak to those uh, lost and dying world that are around us, Lord, in the neighborhood, at work, and elsewhere, God, uh, that they would understand their need of a Savior. So we pray, Lord, that you would be with, be with us, and not only our efforts, but also our sister church's efforts, Lord, and our Presbyterian, our denomination, all churches, God, that love you in the name, the name of Jesus Christ, and are sincere in their desire to follow you, God. 
in this increasing pagan society we find ourselves in, Lord, and that you would move hearts, that you would move us and give us strength that we need and the guidance of our tongues and a confidence, Lord, in the truth of who you are, Lord, even if we are not and feel confident in our eloquence, God, that we simply give the truth of the call of repentance and also, Lord, the call of faith. Precious God, bring many to the gospel of Jesus Christ, we pray. We ask, God, that you'd be with us in a special manner this evening and that we would have more of your spirit and more obedience to you and a sanctification in our life throughout this week. And joy in the spirit, we pray. Amen. We now have the tithes and offerings. you, God, with our hearts and souls, Lord. We thank that we can praise you with the fruits of our labor and our hands, God Almighty, with these tithes and offerings. We pray for their multiplication and use for the use in your kingdom for those in need, God, and for your glorious name to be magnified, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Let us turn to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. So I'm going to go through proverbial passages now that we've finished um, our third minor prophet. Here we have the opening verses of the book of Proverbs, which is a collection of Proverbs. We all have an idea of what Proverbs are, and I'll unpack that a little more here. Let us listen attentively to the word of God, Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel, to understand a proverb and an enigma. The words of the wise and their riddles. Let us pray. With this opening, God, we are exhorted to be the wise, to be those who would receive instruction, those who would, Lord, seek out knowledge, to be men and women of understanding, to obtain 
counsel and truth, that we may have justice, verity, and equity. Help us, God, to learn and grow from the Proverbs that you've given them to us in the Word of God for our sanctification, for our growth and knowledge of what it means to be a Christian and to know ultimately, God, that it is by your grace that we can carry on in such a life and to have ultimately the wisdom of your Spirit and of Jesus Christ, wisdom incarnate. In your name alone we pray. Amen. Now, I think I don't need to ask the question if you want to grow in grace, if you want to avoid foolish decisions, if you want to avoid sin and fight against it, that you must seek out wisdom. And of course, I don't mean the wisdom that Google offers. If you want to learn how to fix a sprinkler head, Google is fine. If you want to learn whether you should buy a sprinkler system in the first place, you may need some financial wisdom, and you may get that from Google, but often you get that from people who have much wisdom, and the Bible may help in that regard if you've not learned already the importance of of wisdom with respect to finances. But if the question is about the morality of buying a sprinkler system, why you should buy a sprinkler system in the greatest scheme, grander scheme of things, the Bible will indeed definitely help in that regard. It will point you that everything you must do must be done to the glory of God. That you buy a sprinkler system because it is a means, cause, and occasion to fulfill your duty as a husband, as a wife, or whatever the case may be, at the, at the issue at hand. So it deals with the greater issues of life, which intersect all the mundane things. The Bible, as we know, is not here to tell us how to fix the sprinkler system, not even in many regards the specifics of finances, other than wisdom tells you to avoid debt as possible and to be wise with your money and to be liberal if you're rich to help the poor, things like that, but doesn't micromanage and give you lots of details in the Bible, even on financial matters. Because the Bible deals with more or less the greater questions of eternal salvation and the morality and the goals of life. The greatest wisdom of all this, of course, is the wisdom of knowing and following Jesus Christ. And so we will see this in the Proverbs, not as though every proverb is explicitly about Christ. That is not the way to read the Proverbs. Christ, of course, fulfills the Proverbs insofar as he is wisdom incarnate, and that he, as the Lord of this creation and the guider of providence itself, has so ingrained things in this universe that it is only through following the Proverbs, through following the wisdom of God's law and the application of God's law, that things go more smoothly, more or less, in life and ultimately in heaven. It is essentially a book about sanctification. It assumes that the readers, the Jewish audience, are those in the covenant, are those seeking the Messiah, and want to be holy people, as Leviticus tells them, right? Be ye holy as I am holy. How? Well, part of that, of course, in the Levitical code, is the sacrificial system, how to worship God. Well, that's not really here. You read very little about sacrifices in Proverbs. It's kind of interesting. It's mostly about practical things, although it does cover the first table often, about fearing God, loving God, and following Him, and loving wisdom, the wisdom of God, which, of course, would cover the first table of the law. So let's, let's do the first point here. Proverbs defined and explained. The Proverbs defined and explained. It is, first of all, a literary form. In the Bible, right? You have genres is the fancy word maybe you learned in high school. That's what I remember. Apparently the only thing I remember from high school. Poetry. 
fiction, nonfiction, historical fictions. You read a book about Abraham Lincoln or people around Abraham Lincoln, so it uses historical facts, but it's got, it fills in a lot of gaps that aren't really real. So it kind of mixes the two. That's a certain, another, a certain kind of genre. Um, action, stories that we read growing up. Biographies is another genre. The Bible has genres or, or ways in which words are put together and sentences put together and concepts and narratives are put together uh, to emphasize and explain things in a different way. So you have history as a genre in the Bible, right? The historical books, lots of those, the Chronicles, Genesis, and the like. You have the didactic passages. That's just a fancy word for teaching. It comes from the Greek word. Passages that are explicitly about instruction, such as the epistles, which are also yet another genre, a way of writing and putting words together, because we write letters differently than we write an encyclopedia entry, wouldn't we? It's the same with the Bible. When you have a different genre, you have different rules, as it were, to put the words together to emphasize a certain point and to communicate. All that to say, you don't read the Proverbs literally. <laughs> you don't read the Proverbs literally. There's a particular word here translated proverb more often than not. I'm not going to give you the Hebrew. You're not here to learn Hebrew words, but uh, there are lots of synonyms in the Proverbs. Because the Proverbs are written in a poetic form. We'll talk a little bit about that in a bit, in poetic form. So, Proverbs is um, not always short or indirect. You have, for example, verses 8 through 19 in this chapter, what they would call didactic discourse, where they're explicitly talking to the reader and telling them X, Y, Z in very clear terms. Often, however, it is very much what we consider Proverbs today, short, pithy sayings to get your attention so you remember something. Sometimes the Proverbs are examples. Uh, for, uh, as an illustration, in Deuteronomy 28, 37, we read of Israel as a byword among the people. That word byword is also a proverb, a proverb among the people, or an example. So you have examples in the Proverbs as well. Examples of what godliness is or ungodliness is uh, or the Christian life or whatever. Most of them, however, as we know, are pithy, that is, shortened to the point. Figurative, not to be taken literal. And dense. They're saying a lot of things in a short amount of sentences. They, it's not just pithy in the sense of, well, you could have said it in five words, but you said the same thing in three words, but rather you're saying a lot of things in three words. Here's an example. An apple a day keeps the doctor away. Who grew up with that saying? I think all of us grew up with an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Now, who, who's been eating an apple every day? Please raise your hand. Wow, I'm impressed. Has it kept the doctor away? <laughs> you know it doesn't mean what, you, what it says. No one takes it that way. Did you have a steak today? No, I had an apple. Do you have a banana? No, I had an apple. Why? My parents told me an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Nobody reads the Bible that way. Well, people do read the Bible that way. That's part of the problem. So this, that's what a genre is. It's a, it's a form of, of communication. In this case, a proverbial form of communication. And as we'll see, it's more poetic that way. It's an instructional form that's very much condensed to grab your attention and to redirect you towards the path of wisdom, what's the good thing to do. To the path of the good. Need to unpack an apple a day keeps the doctor away would require a very long sentence containing many, many caveats. Well, by apple, you mean good food. 
And by doctor, you just mean most bad things, and not necessarily doctor, just having to put a Band-Aid on yourself or, uh, or you know, eating, I guess you'd be drinking Pepto-Bismol because you had too much sugar or something. Uh, a day, well, it just means regularly. Sometimes you can splurge. So you have all these caveats and exceptions to this, quote, ironclad rule. It's not an ironclad rule. It's basically saying, live a healthy life. That's it. But in a clever, uh, grab-your-attention kind of way, right, with metaphorical language. So it's instructional. And the Spirit of God gives it to us, a whole book, to grab your attention so you don't forget the importance of living a godly, wise life. It contains instruction on many practical matters of daily life, as that proverb does itself. In that case of dietary uh, restrictions, it's not even just dietary. The apple is, is symbolic not just for food, but even exercise and taking care of yourself in general. The Proverbs was a familiar, familiar literary form in all ancient cultures, which is to say that what you read and hear is not so unique you can't find it elsewhere. And that doesn't mean the Bible isn't true, it just means the truth is so obvious that even unbelievers have Proverbs very much like our Proverbs, without reading the Proverbs. Because they what? Live in the same universe we do. The same moral universe, which is God's universe. It was a very suitable device for collecting and summarizing the wisdom of the centuries. They, they uh, explain the experts who've read all those old proverbs and the ancient Near East uh, literature. In other words, God's moral law is universal. And many unbelievers can see those same moral truths, even if they don't always, of course, follow them. The book of Proverbs has one important difference, of course. It points the believer to God with instruction how to live a holy and upright life. God is central to the Proverbs here. A holy and upright life for his glorious namesake. So reading the Proverbs then and understanding that it's dense and that you don't take it literally. Like I said, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Is Eat healthy foods in moderation to increase your odds of avoiding being sick and needing to see a doctor is not a very memorable way of saying that. It's easier to say a doctor, uh, an apple a day keeps a doctor away. It's clever. It has a little rhyme, sing-song to it. The long sentence I have is just, the kids aren't going to remember that. God knows that. And so in his love for us, he gives us Proverbs. He works it out so that we can read these things, learn these things, and instruct ourselves in such wisdom. And it's always good to go over the basics, of course. Sure, you heard a lot of this growing up. It's good to hear it again. Again and again. The theme of the Proverbs, of course, is wisdom. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, to know wisdom, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction, to give prudence, that the young man may have knowledge. You see, all those words are synonyms and overlapping ideas. How much wisdom do you have if you're ignorant? You've got to have knowledge. Prudence is yet another word for wisdom. Instruction is another way of talking about getting knowledge and truth. Justice, judgment, and equity in verse 3 are about applications of wisdom used in society. You want the wisdom that brings about justice, judgment, and equity at your job, in your family relationships, at church. So he's saying a lot of things here in verse 6, but in many ways it all reduces down to wisdom. So the theme of the book here is in the verse six verses and verse seven. I'll have a separate sermon next week on verse seven of what this book is about. 
that you want to seek out wisdom. That it's here to give you perception, to give you prudence, to make you a wise person, give you understanding of the things of life. And of course, verse 7 is the fountainhead of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, first of all, I want you to notice here the parallelism of the language here. To know wisdom, to perceive, to receive, to give prudence. Those verbs are obviously reiterating the same idea, that you have to somehow gather in, consume, learn, take in wisdom, instruction, knowledge. A lot of the Proverbs are parallels. You're saying the same thing differently. What they call synonymous, the same parallelism in the Proverbs. So it has a poetic form to it in Poetic Hebrew, which is the Psalms, especially, that you're familiar with, and other um, books of the Bible and parts of the books of the Bible, synonymous parallelism is a big deal. If you don't understand one half of a proverb, but you understand the first half, you've understand, understood the whole proverb, because it's more likely than not to have been a parallelism. Saying the same thing in the second stick, it's called, in the first line, we would say, unpacks it, explains it to you. So... That's important because it's not saying something new often in the second verse. It's reiterating it differently. Again, to get your attention, to get you to remember it, so that you could learn this lesson. <clears throat> so that's what uh, a typical form is. There's a couple other different forms. As we come across them, I'll explain them to you. Uh, but that's the, the number one thing to remember in reading the Psalms. Lots of parallelisms. If you read it, you see it more carefully. Uh, some translations will highlight that by just the way they organize the verses, right? And Proverbs does that too, and you'll see the way it's organized uh, as well. Uh, for example, Proverbs one twenty six: I also will laugh at your calamity, I will mock when your terror comes. And the way we have the verses here is the first part of that verse is set apart separately. I also will laugh at your calamity, space, next line, I will mock when your terror comes. So visually it helps you see it's saying the same thing. You're laughing, you're mocking at somebody, bad things are happening, you're saying the same thing twice. So don't read it into it more than what needs to be there. So, the Bible, uh, the Proverbs, excuse me, in particular, of course, as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, is not there to give you detailed answers about sprinkler systems, about the mechanics of life, about mathematics and the like, uh, but rather to deal with directions in wisdom of how best to use, for example, what's the goal of mathematics, to be helpful in society, to love God, to be practical in that regards, because Proverbs is very practical, for the good of others. It's the good life, as they used to say. So the wisdom here is for us to grow as Christians in our sanctification. Wisdom in God's written law which is more clear than general revelations. Again, other cultures have Proverbs very much like our own. But it's best to get it here. God created all things, as we know, in Genesis 1, and so he is therefore the source of all wisdom, the way of applying God's law. God the Father, of course, used the Son to create all things, and the Son himself is wisdom incarnate. It is through the Bible, especially, that we learn and grow in wisdom, wisdom of salvation, 
And, of course, wisdom and sanctification, living of daily life as best we can. The second point, the Proverbs applied for life. The goal of Proverbs, I already unpacked a little bit about that, to know, to perceive, uh, to get, to receive. Those are the verbs used here. That's the goal of the book. If it could, it would open your mouth and shove down the truth into your gullet. Wisdom and instruction, perceiving and understanding, those are also parallel. Wisdom, to know wisdom, is parallel with the words of understanding, is parallel with instruction of wisdom, is parallel to prudence and knowledge. You can make some distinctions, of course, between wisdom and, and knowledge, an understanding of that knowledge, and it's helpful in practice of practical everyday uh, matters. But in Proverbs, it's not highlighting that kind of a didactic approach and systematic approach. It's, again, here to get your imagination, to get you, get you to bite into the apple of wisdom, to make it juicy for you and capture your mind so that you can grow and apply these things in your life. There's an interesting word used here, for example, um, in verse uh, 2, discipline to know wisdom and instruction. That word instruction can be translated discipline, which is instruction through discipline. And it's used often in the Bible, Old Testament, 90 times, and 36 of those 90 times, or one-third of the times, are in Proverbs. And so we'll get to that uh, later as it pops up. But the Greek equivalent is paideia. You may have heard that in homeschooling circles sometimes which is sometimes translated in the New Testament. You have a New Testament, for example, in Ephesians. Chastening, discipline, or instruction, but it's a combination of uh, to denote correction which results in instruction. Correction which results in instruction. So it's not just to know wisdom and to get knowledge, but to gain knowledge through discipline. Discipline, does, of course, doesn't have to be uh, negative in the sense of being spanked but discipline in the sense of enforcing the truth of the matter could be positive, uh, but often, of course, it's not, given uh, how we are in our sinful nature. The father, of course, disciplines his son so that he may learn and grow. That's the point of the Proverbs here, to know wisdom and have this kind of instruction that's reinforced through discipline. Discipline of the church, discipline of the Holy Spirit, whatever the case may be. A chastening, a correcting, an instruction, providing an expression of interpersonal relationship of love as one... um, Dictionary puts it. And so, verse 3, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, and the like. Again, he's giving a little more detail. Uh, It's similar to the prior one. So, to know wisdom and instruction is parallel to to perceive the words of understanding of verse 2. In verse 3, it unpacks and goes further. Not only is it parallel to, but extends the same idea of receiving wisdom and saying it's not just in general of instruction, of understanding, but even further than that, to matters of justice and equity. So there you have what sometimes is called synthetic parallelism, where it's added to, not just repeating it in different words, but adding to the idea, and you can see the organic relationship there. Wisdom to, to what end? That so you can have justice in society, you can have equity in your life as a practical goal. Justice, judgment, and equity, or straightness is that word for equity. The straight path. Justice, of course, is a Christian concern. I preached on that in Micah and all of life. To know right from wrong and to exercise that and to judge accordingly in our lives, treat our friends with justice in our relationships as well. Verse 4, 
give prudence to the simple, that the young man would have knowledge and discretion. The word simple there could be translated, I think, naive. And I say think because dictionaries may not necessarily use that, but there is a difference. There are three different words for fool in Hebrew, the Hebraic language. And this is the first of those three form, forms of fool, if you can make a hierarchy of fools. Sometimes a word is translated fool, not simple. So I'm pointing that out. Your translation may have the word fool. It means simple. Simple is a little better. Or naive. Children are simple. Adults could be simple, too, if they're new to the American scene and they're immigrants, for example. They don't know much about America. They're naive and simple. They need instruction. They need help to get by the American scene. And children need this as well. And you may need it if you're a new convert. You could be naive and don't know much about the godly life. This book is for you. That's what it's talking about. So when you read fool sometimes, it doesn't mean what you think in English. It just means he who is foolish in the sense of being naive and doesn't really understand life or whatever particular matters around them. Think of a child. We don't look down upon children when we say they're acting foolish. We're just saying they're acting like that's what children do. They don't know any better. That's what it's talking about. And to help them to maturity. You You can see here, I think, now that we have this principle of parallelism, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge. Where's the parallel there? The simple and the young man. Those are both the nouns there. Because as we know, young men, young people, girls included, can be very simple and very naive about the world. And this book is to help them. To help all of us, again, to remind us of things that we've, many of us as adults have learned. Verses 5 and 6, a wise man will hear and increase learning. A man of understanding will attain unto wise counsel. Again, you see the parallel there between a man of understanding and a wise man, saying the same thing two different ways. Uh, he will increase in learning, and the, uh, the man of understanding will obtain wise counsel. Uh, increasing in learning, not just in, as we would like to say, head knowledge, but to increase in wise counsel, to know how to apply that knowledge. To have understanding how to take the truths you, you grew up with, you're raised in your home, here in the Proverbs, and to apply it in your life. That's wisdom. This is the wisdom we seek and wish to have. So, the typical example of this, of course, Fred watches a commercial. He wants to invest in the market. I guess I should say nowadays he wants to invest in bitcoins. That's the, that's the latest fad, it seems. He calls to give his money and loses his shirt. Tim, unlike Fred, watches the same commercial but asks a friend who has market knowledge. And he learns to invest or not to invest, as the case may be. Tim obtained wise counsel. Fred did not. There are lots of Freds, even in the churches, unfortunately. Sometimes because they're naive, they're like children, they don't really understand things. They've been told they understand things, but they really don't. Because that's one of the dangers we have in our American society is we are taught implicitly that we are omnicompetent. And all you have to do is read a couple of books, and you know what you're going to do, and you know how to invest, and you're good to go. Right? I mean, you all see it. That's what they push, because they want you to buy their product. You don't need to investigate this product. You're smart enough to know that we're good buy. That's what they're saying. Buy my Nikes, buy my shirts, buy my toothpaste, whatever the case is. 
And Americans just fall over themselves for it. And Christians, we live in America, and so we're Americans, and we have the same temptations and problems. We think we know enough, and we really don't. We're naive, but we think we're wise. And Proverbs is here to help us overcome that. To fully understand riddles. We read in the verse 6, to understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. Or hard sayings, enigmas, and you could also be translated proverbs. Which is to say, once you have a lot of the groundwork, you can start delving into harder moral questions and harder doctrines. And greater wisdom, which may even confound your teachers, as we read elsewhere. David said, I thank you, Lord, for your law. I think it's Psalm 119, for I've been given more instruction than I can get from my teachers. Of course, he's using hyperbole. It's another tool used in the Proverbs. Exaggeration for effect. If he knows more than his teachers, why was he given teachers in the first place? So he's just highlighting the importance of learning God's word, which surely he got from his parents and he even had teachers, which may or may not have been the case. Third point, what do you want to learn? Know what a proverb is? We learned, going through the verses here, the point of the book of Proverbs to obtain knowledge, instruction, and wisdom, ultimately the highest of all these things, which is application of God's law and gospel for our Christian living. I think it's a simple definition for wisdom. What do you want to learn? You want to learn wisdom. Now, of course, Americans put a premium on finances, money, sports, entertainment, comfort, and prosperity. The Bible puts a premium on wisdom. Wise unto salvation, 1 Timothy 3.15, and that from childhood you have known the scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. That's the greatest wisdom of all, the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. To know more of Him in His ways, to know more of His love and His law for our lives. The gospel is the source of that. And ultimately, the greatest of all Proverbs points to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fear of the Lord in the Old Testament language, as we'll read about next week, is picked up again in the New Testament as well. It's part of wisdom to have such fear. Who wrote the Proverbs? God did. The Holy Spirit, moving Solomon to put these words down. But we also read of someone greater than Solomon. Matthew 12, 42, The queen of the south will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. Solomon is wise. You can learn much from him, Jesus is saying. But I am the source of all that knowledge and wisdom. I am greater than Solomon. The Proverbs, brothers and sisters, as much as it highlights practical things in life, sanctification, is never devoid of Christ, for Christ is the author of it. He is the source of all wisdom. To continue to grow in wisdom by learning God's law and His gospel is our calling, and Proverbs is here to help us to that end, to remember that your wisdom is still, of course, immature compared to heaven. Christ is our wisdom, brothers and sisters. Let us continue to lean upon Him as we read in 1 Corinthians 1.30. But if Him you are of Christ, are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God. Let us pray. We thank you, God Almighty, for the book of Proverbs and how you've given it to us that we may learn and grow as Christians to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. It itself is a proverb that we may grow thereby. In your name alone we pray, for your glorious namesake. Amen.
Let us stand and sing Psalm 22b. Psalm 22b. bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.